0: Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au Now we continue our series on the book Inspiring Stories of Hope by author Lynn Goldsmith, a book of literally inspiring stories about a fascinating range of women. As a kid, Bindi Gleeson would go to school and learn about God, but return home to the stench and domestic wreckage of alcohol. At a tender age, she made a promise to herself, if this is what religion and family look like, this is not for me. She went searching for an alternative life and pledged never to do alcohol, drugs, family or religion. But the sins of the father were visited upon the children. She worked as a hairdresser, owned her own salon, but Bindi also loved the city nightlife, partying and yes, alcohol and drugs. And so what she calls... Her difficult decade began. Imagine this. She lost her husband in an accident, suffered lifelong injuries herself in that accident, lost her brother to an overdose, lost her father to alcohol, lost her mother to cancer. And yet, Bindi believed God always had her in the palm of his hand. Bindi, welcome to Open House.
1: Oh, thank you. And just listening to it makes me cry.
0: (laughs) It's an amazing story, Bindi. Yeah. The word you use about your childhood, Bindi, is an interesting one and that is confusing. Why confusing?
1: Confusing because it was very difficult when you come from from a generations of alcoholism and violence. Generally, the child is abused, not wanted, talked down, etc. I wasn't. My only sibling, Norman, my brother, and myself, we weren't. We were dearly loved, sent to Catholic school, taught about God, but would return home to the stench of alcohol and the screams of violence. So it was very confusing because on one hand there was so much love, but on the other hand there was so much destruction.
0: How did that love and destruction work together then in your house?
1: Well, it, it it couldn't be reconciled. The the violence was were between my parents and the type of people that would come around and there'd be too much drinking in the house. Um, but it was more, you know, then mum would be sitting on my bed loving me and telling me how much she loved me. And, you know, I would know that there was love, but I couldn't stand the sloppiness of speech and I couldn't stand the smell of alcohol and I couldn't stand the arguing that I knew would come later. So it was just a very difficult time.
0: Bindi, at what age did you decide, and to quote you, if this is what religion and family look like, this is not for me? How old were you then?
1: When I'm like, you know, 10, 12 years old, thinking I'm nearly grown up, um, I'm out of here. You know, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm out of here, whatever that was.
0: Why religion? Why wasn't that for you?
1: I was at a Catholic school and uh, and they were the days where people, you were caned, it was very controlling un- uniforms were long and I would always hitch them up so they were, they were all, I was always being caned and I was always putting the corn and I was always in trouble and again that's where I'm hearing all about God but I'm always in trouble so that was difficult for me as well
0: So you end up breaking free from all of that you embark on this hairdressing career you win mm-hmm. the state competition, mm-hmm. own your own salon life was good then?
1: It was good because uh, if I had anything in hindsight to think through to answer that question, I always felt like I didn't have a voice. When I was young, I didn't have a voice. It was like, God can't hear me. My parents can't hear me. No one can hear me. I don't have a voice. When I became a hairdresser, Mum used to say as jokingly and lovingly, I was a legend in my own head, I do still struggle with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a bit of that in all of us, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and... um and so for that, for that moment in time, I was a legend, you know. I was the New South Wales champion. I was the whiz kid, the new kid on the block. I was the one that was winning the competitions and winning scholarships to Vidal Sassoon London and opening salons with the beautiful people and, you know, cocaine, champagne, dancing all night. So I was yeah. um, uh, actually the first time I ever, I used to go to a TAFE in Sydney and one day a week, as a hairdresser in, in, in back then, one had to do an apprenticeship in a salon for four years. And one day of those year, one day a week for two of those years, you would go to TAFE. At that time, from the western suburbs of Sydney, there was no TAFE. The only one was in Ultimo. So I would go to Ultimo and dance all night in town, then go straight to TAFE and sleep all day at TAFE, and then come first in all of my. Uh, technical college and come first with honours, and my teachers were horrified, and I remember them having to give me this wonderful trophy and accolades in front of the whole of the TAFE and and praise me, and then she bent down and whispered to me, if you ever open a salon, call it Hair Ego, and I thought, what a fabulous idea, so (laughs) I did.
0: (laughs) So after all of the wreckage that you'd seen in your own family life... How come you were drawn to alcohol yourself?
1: It looks so different. The wreckage that I've seen look like people sitting at home, drinking, getting violent, fighting, a dirty home, smelly, you know, it looks so different. And 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 it was. My poor old dad, he ended up drinking himself into dereliction and then um, losing his life in a car accident. Uh, drunk at eleven o 'clock in the morning, so the the type of lifestyle that I had was like more of a it was a beautiful people. It was the champagne and it was cocaine and it was dance all night and be a fashionista so it didn 't look like that to me
0: so it was a an extreme lifestyle hairdresser by day party girl by night. did you ever stop and think about? the God that you'd learnt at school?
1: I know where the Bible says that, you know, bring your children up in the ways of the Lord and they will not depart from them. I couldn't get away. You know, I would do things like I had all the... statues of mary jesus and joseph and the rosary beads from my catholicism always in my room amongst all my clothes and all my makeup and and everything else that was going on i'd have bibles and i'd have all these statues and if i was getting up to no good in my room i'd just turn them all around face the wall
0: when you saw people walking to church on a sunday morning with the bible in their hand how did you feel towards them
1: when a Sunday morning came I would be being driven home from being out all night and I'd be feeling quite sick and I would look out and think there's got to be another way if I could get if I could start again I would do this differently and I didn't know there was such a thing as start again I didn't know there was such a thing as born again but my head was already going into that space where I'm I was enjoying my lifestyle. It was wild and it was party and it was uh, extreme and exciting, but I was getting physically sick.
0: So how did that life begin to change then, Bindi?
1: Well, firstly, I got so very, very sick that I thought, oh, you know, I've, I've got to stop taking any drugs and I've got to stop drinking, so... I took myself off to 12-step recovery programs. Um, Oh, first before that, I started looking into, uh, basically my heart search would have said, what's it all about Alfie? So I started on a spiritual search and I was doing all these positive transformation courses where you pay... Werner Earhart or some name like that, up to 500 or or $1,000 for a weekend to be locked in a room and brainwashed for three days and come out thinking you were God and you could change the world. So that's really where I started. And then I just went from those type of courses, you know, after a while that would wear off. And then I'd try another type of religion, some Eastern religions and and yoga and transcendental meditation and Buddhism and anything. But I was just on a full-on search to find out the answer to life.
0: How how did you find God again?
1: Well, one of the very first boyfriends I ever had was uh, I was like 19 and he was 17 and he was a beautiful um, African-American gentleman from the suburbs and He was modeling in some of my hair shows that I was choreographing. And we'd gone out for quite some time, and then he disappeared and came back to me as a born-again Christian and started telling me about Jesus. That was the very first time. And then there was just a whole series of events after that that everywhere I went, it was like Jesus had uh, put his name on me because everyone was coming for me. (laughs) I couldn't get away.
0: (laughs) So how did it unfold from there?
1: funniest part was I was going into a hairdressing competition and there were two major competitions on at the time for New South Wales Australia. And the way we did things was send people out onto the street and pick up a couple of good-looking women, because good-looking women with a good haircut always get the attention of the crowd and the judges. So I was quite versed in in who to choose. So I picked a couple of women, and they both came in to model for me in these competitions. Both of them were born-again Christians. Both of them were from different places, one from the suburbs and one from the inner city. And both of them, while I'd be smoking cigarettes and snorting cocaine and drinking champagne and practicing on the hair, would be talking about Jesus all the time. And being a Catholic kid, I just kept bowing my head all the time and I was getting dizzy. And in the end, I just said, listen, both of you, you pray to your Jesus and you pray to your Jesus. He must be a different Jesus to my Jesus. (laughs) And if I win both the competitions, I'll come to church.
0: (laughs) So you did.
1: I did. I'm a a woman of my word.
0: What was that like for you to return
1: then? Well, it wasn't even like a return. It was so extraordinarily different. I mean, I had only ever been in the quiet, Latin-type-speaking churches and Catholicism as a child. And by no means am I anti-Catholicism. You know, it's the same God. It's just a different place to worship and a different way of worship to me. So when I went into this place, I'd never seen anything like it. I thought I was walking into a cult. You know, I went in and it was ro- I mean, I'd come straight from King's Cross. I, I call it in the book, I've gone straight from King's Cross to the Cross of Christ. So I walk out of the cross dancing all night and I get into a car because I promised somebody I'd go and this was the date I was, said I'd go and get driven to this church and walk in and there's like thousands of people and 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 all I can remember is it was huge. There was amazing music. I thought, my God, what am I doing here? Which was probably a good question. Jeez, literally. <laughs> uh, literally. And um, and always, I've, I'm I'm short in stature, so I've always been one that runs straight to the front of everything. I want to be involved in everything, so I went straight down the front. Probably was sitting amongst the reserved section for the pastors, so I wouldn't miss out on anything. And I couldn't. All I remember is I couldn't stop crying. Crying, 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 crying. There was this music and I couldn't stop crying. And then I heard a man say, you can be born again. And I remember thinking, that's what I've always wanted. I want to be born again. So I did. Praise God.
0: How was Jesus at that time of your life compared to the Jesus you learned about at school?
1: It was always the same Jesus but the teaching was different in that my understanding was a God of fear when I was growing up, like I have to do everything right and I still struggle with that a little bit. You know, I try try really hard to be this really good Christian and you know, if it wasn't for what he did for me, I, you wouldn't be saying I was the best one in the world, but you know, it was a God of fear growing up for me and, and then the Jesus that I know now, is a God of love and grace, like amazing, amazing grace.
0: On Open House, we're with Bindi Gleason, one of the inspiring stories of hope. Bindi, with this new beginning, you marry a Christian man within 10 weeks of knowing him.
1: I wouldn't suggest that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that.
1: Well, that unfolded because once again, I was trying to be the perfect Christian woman and this gentleman wanted to be together. And the only way I think you can be together as the Bible calls to know you is to be married. So I went to the pastors to tell on him, and I thought that they'd straighten him out and tell him to, you know, behave himself, and we'll get married in about a year's time if it's meant, you know. But they basically said to us, well, you know, what are you waiting for? And I was a young Christian, and you know, every word that proceeded from the mouth of the pastor to me back then was as good as saying every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So they said, what are you waiting for? And he didn't have anything to say. He'd always wanted to be married. He was a, a preacher's son, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing because, you know, I was new at this business. <laughs> so I thought, all right, that's what you do, that's what you do, so marry I did. It was difficult. I strongly suggest... I mean, you are now talking to a woman who says it like it is. And I strongly suggest that people take their time and get to know someone properly. Um, My beautiful husband was a good man and well-meaning. He had mental health issues. So our six years pre-accident was a very difficult marriage. It had a lot of religion involved. It had a lot of religious people involved. I'd had uh, mental health involved. It was difficult.
0: And then came the accident.
1: Yes. We left Sydney to come to Queensland and jumped in the car. 45 minutes from where we are, where I am sitting today, opposite Fraser Island, we had a car accident in a place called Tyro on a bridge, and um, a baby was killed. My husband was actually uh, clinically dead four times and continually resuscitated, then in a coma four months in Brain Injury Institute for two years and then under 24-7 care for the next six years. I only just found out recently I died myself a couple of times. The fireman I met recently told me that he cut me from the car and he actually lost me a couple of times. I had, a, I have a minor brain injury. I had seven broken ribs, three breaks in my right arm, a broken hip a broken leg, two shattered knees and a left foot drop and the woman driving the other car was critically injured.
0: Everyone told you to put your husband in a home Mm. but you ended up caring for him. How hard was that for you Bendy?
1: He was beautiful he was like a child you know, so childlike so it was about changing nappies and learning to eat again and learning to walk again and and it was hard, in the moment, I was so in the moment, and the moment didn't end for years and years, and that you don't think it's hard back then. But I've got to say, he was so simplistic and so childlike, and there was so much love, and I've never had a child. So it was my experience for the first time ever, of maternal, like, uh, he was no longer my husband, he was my child. And so it was hard in its own right, but there was so much love.
0: Bindi, after six years, he loses his life, and yet there were more losses to follow, your mother, your father, and your brother. How do you keep your faith through such loss?
1: Every two years, I lost my, firstly, my youngest sibling. He was caring for my husband and I at the time. He lost his life to an overdose of alcohol and drugs, an accidental overdose. My father, he lost his life. He was a derelict alcoholic by the end, which was so sad. And he was driving his car and he lost his life at 11 o'clock one morning, driving the car. And then two years after that, my mother lost a 10-year battle to cancer. So all those losses in what I call my difficult decade, in one way or another, they are a loss and they are a death. All I had and all I still have is God. I had to come to some kind of understanding and acceptance and I've just made a decision that every single one of the people that I just mentioned in my life that I lost were born again and they all lost their life to their particular struggle and I believe that they are all with the Lord. So to me the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't change the grief, it doesn't change the loss. And it puts me in a position where what the Bible says that true religion is looking after orphans and widows and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. So I'm in a position now where the church is my family, my community is my family. And I've been able to reconcile with death by saying, as far as I'm concerned, if God knows all about us from when we're born and he's written every day in his book of life, then some of us will be here for 10 years some of us for 80 years, some of us maybe a few months, and God knows that. So I try to look at life now like for however long someone is here, so I don't spend the rest of my life grieving. I try to look at life and death in, in the, out through the eyes that say, well, God has given us a time, and for that time I'm grateful and I miss you and I'll see you again.
0: And you never ask God, what are you doing to
1: me? So many people said to me, you know, the same question, how do you keep your faith, number one, and, and, and have you asked God, why me? And quite honestly, I haven't. I was too busy working out with God how to do this, yes. not fight with him. Yeah. You know? And at the end, one day I did. One day I remember clearly saying, why me? And God said, why not? God makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. So it really showed me that it's not about being right or wrong, good or bad, Christian or non-Christian. We have a time here, there's a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. We have a time here and we have opportunity to choose Him. God's the one that died for our sins. So even though my, my loved ones died in their struggle, I call it more than sin, in their struggle they lost their battles. They still had Jesus in their heart and it's Jesus' word that says if you believe in your heart and confess through the mouth that Jesus is Lord then you will be saved. So I have opportunity to see my entire family again and that's in his time.
0: Bindi Gleeson, it has been an amazing life and uh, I'm so glad you've been able to share it with us initially in inspiring stories of hope and especially here on Open House. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You're more than welcome, Lee. Thank you.